Welcome to Friends of George MacDonald, an ongoing podcast designed to introduce and discuss the author and his influence on the hosts and listeners in popular culture alike. So welcome everybody to another episode of Making Friends with George MacDonald. Today, Dale and I, James, are meeting without Dan, who's busy, but we hope to have a good conversation with each other, get to know one another a bit better, and in particular, get to know one another a bit better in our understanding of George MacDonald and his works. Along with others. And so we're hoping to acquaint ourselves with folks who will listen and with one another. So earlier today, a few hours back, we were talking about what we might chat about when we're together. And, well, we noted it might be good just to get to know one another better by whatever conversation comes up between us. But also, perhaps we could focus some of our conversation around the unspoken sermons. So that's sure to come up, I guess, in our dialogue today. Agreed. One of the questions going into McDonald and continuing oftentimes is has to do with how do we read him, what goes on in the reading of him. And I'm a proponent of something, doing something like this in order to encourage others and to maybe assist in certain elements of that without having any pretense about it. And many people that I've met who have tried to read McDonald have stopped novels sometimes due to some of the language, which is different than it is now. It's always growing on what has come before, certainly, and the fact that he can be, I guess, verbose. He says a lot, and I think all of it is very purposeful. Yes, I know uh, what you said is true. Um, I've been such a lover of George McDonald for so many years that I really wanted to share that with my wife. Of course, I want to share as much of my life as I can with my wife. And so my wife, knowing it's important to me, has read a few McDonald items, but she really struggles with them, uh, largely for the purpose that you pointed out. Um, she just finds him way too wordy. And um, that's saying something because she's a writer, <laughs> English major, and so forth. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. I remember one time we were visiting Shan's cousin in Texas. And the evening before that, I had read something for the first time in, I believe it's in Annals of the Quiet Neighborhood. And it had to do with comparison. And it knocked my socks off because it was something that I had thought about for years and years of the way that it's so common to make a statement about something and have someone say to you, well, compared to other people, that's not the case. And I, and I never liked that very much. And one of these times we'll have to get that and, and maybe do a session on that statement. And so when I got up the next morning, I went out with the book and Shan had heard me go on and on about McDonald and read things to her. And she's read many of the novels and things and very much enjoys them and, and the unspoken sermons. And her cousin and her husband were there and I read this thing and I was sort of wrought with the passion of it and what it meant to me. And when I was done, I looked at them and their faces were blank. And they both said, I didn't understand a word of what that meant. And I said, really? And they said, no. And I thought, and, and they're, they're active in a church and things like that. And they read and do different things. And so I thought about it for a while. And when I went back to where we were staying at that time, I sat down and I wrote the thing out, and through it, I wrote out what he was saying, trying to interpret what he was saying for them, and sent it to them. And I think that was kind of the end of that. And so that's, that's one of the things that happens. And if somebody read something like that and it stopped them from re reading McDonald, that's a bit sad to me. So it's, I wonder what we can do. Yeah, it's sad to me as well. And in case it wasn't clear in what I said before, it kind of even hurts me a bit that my wife hasn't come <laughs> to love McDonald as much as I do. Yeah. Uh, cause, because I love having conversation with her, and I, I think I could have a lot of great conversation with, with her about McDonald if she loved him as I do. Now, she doesn't yeah. dislike him. She's just not 
fond right. of him, right? So, so, but, but I can understand that because I don't think it's completely irrational on her part because there are a number of other writers that a lot of people like, but I haven't gotten uh, appreciation for them and read many of their works because I would use the very same reason because I find them too wordy and I, I just can't wade through all the stuff that they have to say. I just think, why don't you just come out with it and say X, Y, Z simply. Why? So if, if that bothers me about other writers, why doesn't it bother me about McDonald? Uh, I guess uh, while you're talking, I was reflecting upon that question to myself. And I guess the answer is there's just something in the way he says it that speaks my personal language enough that I'm willing to read it, but also maybe the largest, well, that must've been true for the first book or two I read or I wouldn't have gotten through them. So he must speak my language well enough. And additionally, I came to learn that there is so much value in his writing that even if occasionally I feel like he's belaboring something. I I just know that it's worth making it through it because there's going to be something great. Yeah, there you go. There's a lot to that, to having a predisposition towards wanting to like something because somebody else likes it, somebody you admire likes it, and so on. And yet, in reading McDonald, the other thing I think is that the predispositions that we have towards many things must either be changed in reading him or you'd have to stop reading him. And in a lot of ways, that's true of reading the gospel. If you're not at some point willing to say, yes, Lord, thy will be done, you're not going to read anymore. Uh, it's, uh, I read a quote recently by Pascal that says, men despise religion, they hate it and fear it is true. To remedy this, we must begin by showing that religion is not contrary to reason that it is venerable to inspire respect for it, then we must make it lovable to make good men hope it true. Finally, we must prove it true. And after reading that, the next thing that came to my mind was Jesus saying to his disciples, by, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples as you have love for one another. And that's essentially, I think, what Pascal is trying to say. That is much the same thought. I think. So there's another thing about McDonald in, in this concept of reading anything, I guess, that I learned through the years of studying music a lot. And it began with a short lecture that a, a composer who had won the Pulitzer Prize in 1960 was giving us when I was working on my doctorate in music composition. And he said, look, there's only two kinds of music. There's good music and bad music. Compose good music. He said, it doesn't matter what inspired it. He said, if I loved my sister and my sister died and I wrote a symphony to memorize her and it was horrible music. The inspiration didn't make any difference at all. And I remember thinking about that and the charge to write good music. And our charge in life is to do good things, do the next right thing. But later, I mitigated it a little bit. And when people say stuff about their favorite kind of music or what's my favorite kind, I say, you know, there's only three types of music. And that is the stuff that you like, the stuff that you don't like, and the stuff that you still have to listen to. That's kind of what I've come to because it's up to the individual, the ears that they have and the style and the patience and the fortitude to stick through things. And if nothing else, McDonald's unspoken sermons take fortitude that they do yeah, yeah i think so anyway yeah i think um i didn't read uh, other than seeing quotes here and there from the unspoken sermons i didn't really sit down and read the unspoken sermons uh until after i had read well i don't, I don't even know how many but several other works of george mcdonald and <laughs> um I'm kind of glad I did it in that order. I think it was helpful to me because although I was getting tons out of the works that I had read, when I got to the unspoken sermons, I realized that all of that that I was getting out of the novels and so forth uh, was the milk. And when I got to the unspoken sermons, mm -hmm. I was more ready for the meat. There you go. 
that's a that's a good way to to take it and and that for me that's what mcdonald does his unspoken sermons drive me to the meat of scripture the meat of the word he's encouraging that in my my opinion to continue and in a, in a certain sense probably in spiritual reality and heavenly reality he's now part of the cloud of witnesses encouraging us to cast away the cares of the world and run the race that's set before us with our eyes on jesus and that's our place as well to do that with folks while we're here and we can pinch them or give them a hug (laughs) right there's another group that has started a little bit with uh zoom meetings uh to talk about mcdonald some of the people have read him for some time some are newer at it and the second one we did they asked for somebody to select an unspoken sermon and lead it and so i said well i'll do it if somebody wants me to if somebody else wants to that's fine and i jotted down a few notes about it because of the conversation that had come before with people about some of the things that we're discussing so i just made a couple of notes and one the first one is George McDonald and long sentences, because somewhere Mr. Phillips says that there is, I believe it's in an unspoken sermon, a sentence that has like 430 words or something like that. I don't remember the details. I'm not much of a statistician and kind of laughed at it in a way, which, which is cool. I'm not a word counter or anything like that, but his, his um, punctuation in things makes me believe that what he's doing in them is expounding and declaring a particular topic that continues to describe a particular that is in support of the principle of that sermon. So he has a a principal idea in the singular or sometimes two verses that he begins as he transitions through the sermons from one to another with the next thing. And he has all of these particulars that he brings up along the way. And he understood writing as far as structure of a paragraph and a sentence and the parts of the sentences and so on. And so within each sentence, with his either a comma or semicolons, and he has all the dashes that he puts in as well, he's taking one thing and continuing to sort of flesh it out as he goes. Some of the sentences are a complete outline of something that has all the different levels of of an outline, I think. And the key is probably to stay with him and read slowly. Yeah, read further slowly. Right. Yeah. And stop. Sometimes it means you got to stop and go back. But sometimes I think a superficial read, just to try to get through it and have certain little bumps in there that are the high points, and then go back and continue until it's clear. The clarity will be revealed, I think. I find uh, most, maybe all, but certainly many of the sermons as I I read them, I feel like it's sort of, uh, I'd use the onion analogy. It's almost like peeling back the layers of the (laughs) onion. So, so like uh, if I just pick one randomly, like the way he starts out quoting a scripture and that, and for the way it's a very short scripture, if that would be perfect from St. Matthew. (laughs) And then he goes on, you know, a paragraph or two introducing some ideas about that big if and, and and the big topic of perfect and yeah paragraph by paragraph he just sort of peels apart the whole topic throughout the mm-hmm. sermon and you could read the first i don't know first three paragraphs you could read the first 10 paragraphs you could read 20 paragraphs and it, at each of those points you'll have gotten something out of it but you just kind of peel deeper and deeper as you go along yeah i agree I think another thing about, in general, about the unspoken sermons that is, has become a good place for me to begin when I start reading one again, rather than trying, I don't, I'm not much tempted to get sidetracked by doctrinal differences and theological arguments and what I've come to call through the years mental tiddlywinks that I played for many years myself with many things. I've tried to cast that 
aside. And so the beginning of it for me is that all of these sermons are about relationships. And I think that the long arc that's spread by them or over them or through them, however you would do that, beneath it is the essential principle that God is love, that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. It's the whole gospel. And he's encouraging righteousness, living in thy will be done, and on the whole concept of of God's relationship to man and man's to God and man to man. And reading them like that, and he says it frequently in the sermons, so that, that's one that has helped me quite a bit is to start and say, okay, this is about relationships, and read it from that vantage point. Yeah. Just as a case in point that you were just making, I opened a copy of the Unspoken Sermons a minute ago, and while you were talking, I just randomly flipped to what in this copy is page 77, and <laughs> I see I see the word will next to or within a word of word or two of the word God all over the page I'm staring at, just randomly selected. So There you go. The characters in many of the books are working these things out. Yeah. Go ahead, sorry. No, it's okay. I mean, I I may have said it last time, but I, I think that there are times in the unspoken sermons to me that when I read it, I'm aware that MacDonald was discovering it while he wrote it. I've discovered that in composing music. Somebody once said that if you're composing and you're not surprised along the way about things and write them down that way, how would anybody else care to listen to it? And I think that's the case with a novelist or any author continues. And and you feel this, I mean, because I've written some novels and other stuff too, is you're writing along and all of a sudden you feel this tap on your shoulder by somebody and you don't know who it is till you look over your shoulder and then you write it down. It's fascinating. And I think that's what he was doing. And it was all part of him yeah, working but, out his salvation. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's pretty clear within most every novel from the beginning to the end. And also, uh, of course, if you look across his body of novels that he definitely was using them, uh, among other purposes he was using them as a way for him to work out his own thoughts about how certain relationships and interactions and things among people should be should play out in the most ideal way and that's one of the things that drew me uh, into his novels right from the first i read and through all of them is that i mean I, i i've read the the gospels in the new testament a lot of times i have faith i believe that what Jesus Christ told us is real. I can seem I seem to lack my own imagination though on how I put it to work pragmatically in my own life. I don't know if pragmatically is the right word, but but realistically in my own own life. But somehow watching the characters in George McDonald's novels work through that problem gives me a greater vision of how I can put those same things into work in my own life. Well, it's a, I wonder if when you've read the unspoken sermons, do you have a, a booklet by your side and a pencil and write things down and try to work out what he's saying by writing your own questions and answers? Uh, I, I do that sometimes, not always while I'm reading the unspoken sermons or other things, but I, I'm almost always marking things. Um, yeah. And I mark things two ways. I mark them as in, oh, that's a great quote or a great thought idea. And I also mark them, and, and sometimes the same passage will be marked both ways, but yeah. I, will also, I will also mark them, come back to this one and think about it more. <laughs> so one way that would help people who are apt to do this is to journal through them, I think, and begin writing. And when there's a question, you come to a, a something that seems too much to continue on, write it down and start thinking about it and write about it. I frequently, when I'm reading MacDonald or Scripture or anything, use use a dictionary to look up certain words and see what they mean. And I often do that with MacDonald and, and the Bible because the words that were used when the King James Version was made or when MacDonald was writing, many of those words 
have changed in, in their intent and their meaning now. And so I try to go back into what was the history of that word. And often it really shines a tremendous light on the meaning of what is there. And writing helps me a lot frequently. I just, I take notes and start writing and see where it goes and look back and see how it compares and, and, and makes it work like that. I'm sure a lot of people would get benefit of working that way. Perhaps likely I would also. Uh, many times in my life I've gotten advice to do journaling. I'm not good at it. I'm not good. <laughs> <laughs> it just isn't quite my thing. Maybe if I worked on it harder, I would get benefit out of it. A lot of people recommend it. But maybe not. I, the other thing that's clear to me with McDonald is he understands the differences of styles with people. And there are things that are not people's styles. It's like the music thing. If somebody likes a piece of music, who am I to say it's a bad piece of music? I'm not going to make that judgment. If they like it and they want to listen to it, and sometimes if it's the only thing they want to listen to it, they're, they're welcome to that. Not my style, but that doesn't mean anything. Another thing that just dawned on me with this, I said that the overarching thing about the sermons is about that they're about relationships. The other thing that is in them and in all of his novels to me is McDonald's faith and belief and trust that all things are being worked together for good. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't know how that's happening. He doesn't always see it, certainly didn't always see it, but he trusted that. He takes it and as that, a given. Yep. He took it, well, yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah, and that, that would be good, wouldn't it? It's like taking oxygen as a given, I yeah, guess, and not having to worry about it. It's basically having perfect trust in, in God. I mean, yeah, McDonald clearly believed God was the embodiment of love and that everything God does is in love. And, it was and the all you, in all. I get, and then I guess the perfectly believing those statements means you would perfectly trust him, which means you would trust even if you can't see it that all things are working for your good yeah i think the other thing is about them is each sermon contains much more word scripture jesus himself than the quotes and verses mentioned at the time mm. and and it's behind his writing also and often i think that they're they're too much for a single reading and certainly for a short discussion. You can start on some, but if you started reading any of those that you flip through there, we could spend eight days talking about one paragraph and still not get to the end of it. <laughs> yeah. If we were so inclined. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. But it's not for everybody. And some of us are more interesting in some of those topics than others. I might be pretty interested in having a conversation that long with you about some of the items and other of the items aren't quite as interesting to me, or at least not yet so interesting sure. to me. Yeah, it's a matter of charm and style. Everybody has propensities and capacities that are fearfully and wonderfully knit together as God has created us. And you do something with your your work that I, I wouldn't do that. I'm not interested in it. I'm glad it's there. And the same with, with Dan's work. I admire it. It's, he, his work with kids and all the things that he's doing with that. Not my thing. I mean, I love teaching and encouraging and things like that. I did that over this little camping trip I just did with the young man that's been going with me, trying to start mentoring him, not only in fly fishing, but the lessons of life that are found there and trying to get him to see things and apply them. But I couldn't, I couldn't do that all the time, I don't think. So it's a style thing. Yeah. But regardless of our different styles, one commonality among all of us is that regardless of our style, we all require, especially in spiritual matters, the learning by degrees. You know, we grow bit by bit, precept by precept. Yeah. McDonald uh reminds us that we are meant to be hungry for more knowledge and more and more righteousness but we're all at a different point along the line i think uh, let's see uh, a quote i just i can readily find on that topic from mcdonald he says god made man and woke in him 
the hunger for righteousness. The Lord came to enlarge and rouse this hunger. The first and lasting effect of his words must be to make the hungering and thirsting yet long for more. That's right. That's a good one. And Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. You know, that's one of the old adages is you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But that's a lie if you've ever been around horses and ridden them. You ride a horse hard, and man, they swallow grapefruit size chugs of water until they're thirst is quenched <laughs> but if you just walk them over when they're feeding or something you can't force them to feed but when they're thirsty boy do they drink another quote from mcdonald on that topic of thirsting he says let him who would know the love of the maker become sorely athirst and drink of the brook by the way then lift up his heart not at the moment to the maker of oxygen and hydrogen but to the inventor and mediator of thirst and water, yeah. that man might foresee a little of what his soul may find in God. Fabulous. I think that's fabulous as well, because it is possible to think of God as the maker of oxygen and hydrogen, but it's a, it's a whole different philosophical view of God to think of him as the inventor of thirst and of water. Yeah. In the last farthing, there are a couple declarations in the opening thing about parables themselves and he says things about those who don't see won't understand and can't and those who will see will see because they continue to do the thing that they see and grow within that and they're done he says that the gospel itself and in it the parables of the truth are to be understood only by those who walk by what they find. It is he that runs that shall read and no other. And it goes on along the way. And he says that uh, when the pilgrim of the truth comes on his journey to the region of the parable, he finds its interpretation. It is not a fruit or a jewel to be stored, but a wellspring by the wayside. And I, when I read that, I wrote down living water. Not something to be stored, but a well springing by the wayside. And then you continue running the race, knowing that the living water will continue to sate your thirst. Right. No, no Pretty good reason. stuff. No reason to try to store it. Yeah, a thought that sprung to mind while you were sharing that also was um, the reality that Jesus Christ's parables, like, take the parable of the prodigal son. I think everybody can relate quite easily to that parable to, to, to a certain degree. But if anybody has been a parent and has a child that became a prodigal and returned, then you can really relate to that parable. So all uh -huh. of them, uh, all of them take new color and new meaning and new depth to us when, uh, as the seasons of our life change. Yeah, that's right. There's the growth all the way. I think McDonald, another thing with McDonald is that he was a lifelong learner. At some point along the way, he, he knew that was going to be the case, and he continued in that. And the sermons will encourage that, in, in my opinion. It's like reading Matthew 5, 6, and 7 for months on end. You can do that and continue to just get more and more and more uh, out of it until be therefore perfect makes sense as a possibility because Jesus says it was. Mm -hmm. So the thought just occurred to me, I hadn't pondered it through this way, but the thought just occurred to me. So I, I, I shared a few minutes back how I had read the unspoken sermons only after reading several George MacDonald novels. <laughs> and the thought occurred to me and, and I, well, I expressed that one of the things I get out of the novels is a an example from the characters of how to live uh, a, a disciple-like life through various different situations that appear in life, through interacting with people that are not the best people, through various challenges and losses and so forth. And then I compared that as the milk while unspoken sermons is the meat. Well, it... it dawns on me that as I've read the unspoken sermons, 
So I read some of that meat and gleaned at least some degree of understanding of that meat that I've actually yearned or hungered to reread some novels or, or of George McDonald's. And as I do so, I see those things, those characters are doing in a new light or even more, I guess, importantly to me, I see what they're doing as the, oh, this is how I can actually fulfill that yearning or that demand placed upon me by understanding what I understood when reading the meteor thing. I don't know if I said that in a way that it makes sense, but but when I read mm -hmm. The Unspoken Servants, I, I can't help but feel a self-condemnation about falling short, <laughs> falling short of the mark. And that's with, what the truth does though, isn't it? Yeah. Every, every way, no matter how you hear the truth, it, it, it can't help, but cause that feeling. And so it also can't help, but cause the desire to figure out how to move forward. And so uh, at least for me, turning back to the novels gives a lot more answer on how to get move forward. So Reading the sermons gives me the impulse and the novels give me some gems for how to do it. He says the parables for the understanding of that man, the, the parables are for the understanding of that man only who is practical, who does the thing he knows, who seeks to understand vitally. They reveal to the live conscience otherwise not to the keenest intellect, though at the same time they may help to rouse the conscience with glimpses of the truth where the man is on the borders of waking. Ignorance may be at once a punishment and a kindness. All punishment is kindness, and the best of which the man at the time is capable. And then he has this little quote that's his, because you will not do, you shall not see. But if you would be worse but it would be worse for you if you did see, not being of the di disposition to do. And later he has the statement, it says, God puts a seal upon the will of man. That seal is either his great punishment or his mighty favor. You love the darkness, abide in the darkness. O woman, great is thy faith, be it done unto thee even as thou wilt. I love that stuff. The parable is an appeal to the common sense of those that hear it in regard to every affair of righteousness. Now, there's a lot right there. You could talk about a lot longer than this podcast. So do you have a favorite sermon or a yeah. few favorite that stand out? Yeah, it's the one I'm reading. I, that's what I said last week when yeah. we were talking about <laughs> favorite what's, words. what's the favorite yeah. book. I, I, so you feel the same way about the sermons? I feel I do. It's they. I think that they have a very purposeful order that pushes forward and then maybe steps back at times to define something that came before in order to be able to continue. And I often wonder what would be interesting would be to maybe kind of align the production of the sermons and what novels he was writing at the same time, if he was, or novels that had become before. Because in some ways, I think he's working out what he's writing in the sermons in the novels, or he realizes that in the novel, he was working something out that he could say in a sermon, rather like Jesus used the parables, if you would, to say something that is encasing all of history and all of creation and and all things working together to, for good if, if that connects in any way yeah i believe so and somewhere to your thought it would be interesting to figure out I, I my bet is you would find no such example but it would be interesting to f try to trace through is there any thought in the unspoken sermons that doesn't have some basis in one of his novels and from my experience and observation, just reading without trying to do that exact study, the answer is probably no. Uh, everything I Correct. read in the sermons, I can find some quotes, some something in the novels that was its genesis. Or at least I presume that what was in the novel was the genesis, but maybe it worked right. in the other direction. 
There's no surprise in that to me. And that's because when you listen to Bach, if you understand music some, Bach is Bach. He speaks Bach. He composes Bach. And that's what he does. And then you can hear in other composers that followed some of what they learned from Bach, for example. And you can hear, for example, in early Beethoven, you can hear Haydn because Haydn taught Beethoven when he was young. Haydn also taught Mozart and outlived Mozart by a long time and ended Beethoven's life. But Beethoven is not Haydn anymore. He is Beethoven, and that's why he is Beethoven. There were lots of other composers that tried to stay Haydn, and they went by the wayside because people wanted original music, new things. You can tell Chopin is different than Liszt, and you can tell that Liszt knew Chopin and, and grew from that and out and so on with composers. So to think that McDonald had his voice and used his voice and was continually developing his voice by the working out of what he was doing, is uh, it's great if, to see that and to understand that he was George McDonald. He, knew, he began to, knew, to know who he was and to know what he was doing. And yet I'm sure that he was constantly struggling in some ways and that Beethoven if you look at his old scores he would have things he would be writing along and he would have just have these big huge black splotches and markouts and the and then the piece you'd go back to where it was and he'd have all these lines blacked out and then it would continue when it wasn't blacked out he had worked it out and it didn't work and then he went on and I wonder how many times McDonald took a page and looked at it and crunched it up and threw it away and wrote it again he may not have done that a lot. People are different about that in their styles, of course. I don't think Bach ever marked anything off, for example. I think he just kept writing. But So it just dawns on me. We've come this far into the conversation, and we've taken it for granted that our listeners know what the unspoken sermons are. Uh, but maybe it would be worth talking for a moment about what they are, or at least, at least structurally, uh, <laughs> if nothing else. So um, the Unspoken Sermons uh, were published in three volumes, and I believe the first volume came out, I won't get the exact year, but I believe it came out in the 1850s, and I believe the second and third volumes came out in the 1880s. And the three volumes each contain, or I don't know the exact number, around a dozen sermons. The first series contains certain, uh, sermons with titles such as, I won't name all of them, but such as uh, The Child in the Midst, The Consuming Fire, The New Name, Love Thy Neighbor, The God of the Living. The second volume contains sermons named such as The Hardness of the Way, The Cause of Spiritual Stupidity, isn't that a great title? I love that one. As soon as I saw that title, I wanted to read it. Um, Man's Difficulty Concerning Prayer. Another good one. The Voice of Job. And the third volume has sermons including The Creation in Christ, The Knowing of the Son, Freedom, Justice, Righteousness, and the final unmasking. So, and the last one is the inheritance, right? The inheritance, yes. So, again, I was just quickly sampling uh, some of the names of the sermons. That's and great. Each sermon. And the first one, the first book, begins with these ears of corn gathered and rubbed in my hands upon broken Sabbaths. I offer first to my wife and then to my other friends. And each one of the books has something like that at the beginning. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. It and that says a lot. These ears of corn gathered and rubbed in my hands upon broken Sabbaths. Yeah, I've reflected what he meant by that. I, and I haven't ever gotten, uh, well, I haven't come up with anything I'm satisfied with. Do you know, do you have an idea what he meant by that? Well, just right now and thinking of it and looking at it, he's rubbing these ears of corn, which... I take as wheat mm -hmm. or even a corn, I guess an ear of corn. 
uh, he's not looking at the corn stalks. He's not looking at the tassels. He went and he picked the ear of corn and wanted to know more and kept rubbing them and cleaning them and gleaning them and examining them uh, and continued to dig into it uh, like he would, like he talked about being a poet looking at a flower and a poet understood the flower more than a scientist who wanted to tear it apart for its pieces that the poet understood that more and he's writing these and and i think as i offer first to my wife and then to my other friends is saying there's humility in that in my opinion and i suspect he he had to always anybody that teaches and learns has to first of all either be patient or humble and second all the second the other there's no other way to do it either of them yeah that'd be a good topic of discussion at some point when we come back to the unspoken sermons because uh there 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 is a lot more and i'm definitely in on rubbing the corn in my hands like that but i don't care how many kernels are on the on the ear or the dimensions of them or anything like that, particularly, I guess. So uh, I'm not, I don't do measurable stuff that much, I suppose, (laughs) except for where it matters. I mean, when I tie flies, I'm very keen about the proportions so that the fly works correctly, for example. And in composing, I'm very keen on making sure that everything is accurate and complete and the same with writing to try to be as clear as possible. But I, I don't know how to diagram a sentence, and I don't know what it means to not end a sentence a preposition with. So I don't understand that stuff very well. You and Dan will be better about a lot of that stuff. Well, that's that's a fun part of this. Well, you refuse to name a favorite or two sermon. Yeah, but I, I won't keep you from it. I, I was going to say, I'll go ahead and name a couple <laughs> of my favorite. I really... So, there's none of them I haven't learned anything of, of course, that hopefully goes without saying. But one of my favorites is the new name. Something about that sermon speaks very personally to me. uh, And I guess it's supposed to, since it is about the new name, which is obviously a a, Mm. a very personal thing. I agree. Uh, That's a great one. But it deeply touched my heart and increased my desire that someday I will be blessed to know the name that God has for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, it makes you realize what Paul says that you will one day know as you are now known, right? Yes. Yeah, I love that one. And what I take out of that that verse is, I'm I'm humbled and I, what else would you say? Honored and full of hope that I'm known. And it's not by people who are making irrational judgments based on I'm too tall, I have too much hair, blah, 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 blah. Great. Another favorite is, uh, we chuckled about the title a few minutes ago, The Cause of Spiritual Stupidity. I laugh at it every time. Yes. (laughs) I can't help it. (laughs) Um, And that sermon points out the many different causes of spiritual stupidity. And probably the majority of which wouldn't be a surprise to any of our listeners what's pointed <laughs> at, but he does a good job at getting right at the root of them oh, yeah, and uh, helping me understand myself a bit better, helping me understand which of those faults are ones that I personally struggle with and, and see them in a new light. So I, I enjoy that hmm. sermon. So uh, you think that he so- came to that? in trying to create the characters he did and saying that this character had these characteristics and would be true to those characteristics while this one had these characteristics and how did this person's character and this one's collide or or uh, complement it's like uh, you mentioned before that your first book was David Elgenbrod and I've been reading that again right now and I'm at the point where Hugh meets Robert Falconer. And then the, the 
how Robert Falconer almost picks up with you where David left off in his spiritual training and his sense about faith and how they they were complementary in some ways. And then also with Hugh's relationship with Margaret and 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 Euphra with it also and the differences in their characteristics and how Euphra judged Margaret so harshly at that point and then came to love her and respect her because of her speaking the truth. So in a way, that uh, that sermon kind of does that. You know, maybe he's he's trying to see what, what were these causes. I never thought about that before. You just yeah, sprung it on me. Knock it off, will you, James? <laughs> well, he is a good study of character. And in that sermon, he is a good study of the human character generally. So, yeah. You had another one you were going to mention. Boy, again, it would be hard to name the, the, the best of the best, at least, or, or my favorite of the favorite. The Last Farthing is very challenging. Yeah, fabulous. Per- personally challenging. I don't mean difficult. I don't mean challenging in the dis- difficult to understand sense, but in the challenging for improvement sense. Baba, father. Is oh, that's a great one, one too, isn't it? I, I just end up naming all of them if I go on. Yeah. Uh, life is a good one. Uh, it really, Jesus Christ tells us that he came to give us life more abundantly. And I think that sermon gives us an idea of what life really is. Hmm. Well, justice maybe. is a great, I'll name it, I'll call it out also. That's a That's another favorite sermon. Which one? Justice. Justice is so good. Yeah, when we're we're done later today, read Psalm 37 again a few times. Think about justice. Well, maybe that's something that will pique some interest and to read a little bit more or to confirm the reading that's already been done by anybody that might listen to us. That was that was good. Good to get to know you a little bit more, James. Appreciate that. Likewise, Dale. Hope you get an opportunity soon to cast some of your freshly tied flies. Oh, are you a fly fisherman? I'm not really. I I would classify myself as not a fly fisherman, but I've done it a few times and enjoyed it. Okay. Well, we should remedy that, lad. (laughs) Sounds good to me. (laughs) If you ever make it to the northern woods of Maine in the area I live, I'll be... Yeah, that would be fun. I know a lot of my neighbors consider it a sin that I'm not an avid fisherman since I live in such country. But um, I, I, um, I, I grew I grew up fishing quite a bit with my father, and I, I enjoy fishing okay. But as I got older, I realized, for me, about maybe perhaps ninety percent of what I was getting out of getting my enjoyment from was simply the being outdoors. Absolutely. And, um, always, and and I found I can get just as much enjoyment by just going for a hike or just sitting on a rock in the forest. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know, fishing hasn't been quite as much a, a, a part of my life since I've been an adult as it was growing up. And, yeah. Well, the tugs are different with people. And again, that propensity and capacity thing, it's, it's just interesting. I, I, am, I am drawn to water. And there's a, a great book called a, the river, a River Runs Through It. And at the end, as an old man, the author says, I am haunted by waters. And I, when I read that, when I just said that, I get goose pimples all over my body. I just it's uh, being on a trout stream with a fly rod in, in my hand. I see things I would never see from sitting on a rock next to the stream. Never. It's you're engaging with something in a very different way, but sitting on a rock and engaging with nature is very similar. No doubt. There's a lot to be said about the stillness of both. Mm-hmm. It's required and maybe be still and know that I am your God. That's uh, it's good stuff. And nature, fly fishing, getting out, does that. Yep. I don't take a phone. I don't take a phone with me when I go trout fishing, fly fishing. Anybody that does, I want to throw them in the river. But (laughs) oh well. 
<laughs> that's uh, how I feel hiking. Pe- people that bring along like a Bluetooth speaker and you can hear them half a mile behind you on the trail. Yeah. I think, why are you in the woods if yeah. you're doing that? But I've had a lot of people ask me, well, what music do you listen to when you tie flies? I said, I listen to music to listen to music. When I tie flies, I am praying and contemplating and hoping and uh, imagining fishing the flies or giving them to somebody who will fish them. And I always hope that when they're out there in the water with that fly, they make a cast that in it they see the mysticism and the magic of nature and that God's hand is in the creation of it. That's awesome. And it what you just said can't uh, can't but help make me think of george mcdonald and uh his frequent usage of cobblers as oh yeah say, in his novels and oh his yeah regular pontification of uh not only shoemakers having their hands busy all day and therefore having so much time for their mind to be busy but also uh, others whose hands are engaged in doing something such as weavers and so forth um that's a Absolutely. common thread through a lot of mcdonald's writings and it sounds to me like your hands being busy you just expressed that your hands being busy tying flies gives you much that same experience that the cobbler gets it's it's interesting that would be a that would be a good one for a podcast is mcdonald's cobblers and mcdonald's singers and so on those would those would be good topics the different recurring characters yeah Yeah. Yeah. good stuff well we'll look forward to everybody being along again and look forward to getting to know you better james and definitely to have dan along again to put his fifty dollars worth into our three cents worth all right it was enjoyable talking with you and have a great afternoon Thanks a lot, James. Goodbye. We want to thank everyone for joining us for this installment of Making Friends with George McDonald. Please join us next time where we'll discuss all things GM. Talk to you then. Bye.